0: If you're sitting there listening to this and your content strategy and content plan is sitting on a spreadsheet, just consider looking at something like Trello or ClickUp as a means of getting on the road to efficiency.
1: B2B Content Strategist is the podcast where you'll hear actionable advice and strategic guidance from content marketing leaders. I'm Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10x, and I sit down with leading B2B marketers to discuss how they overcome challenges with limited time and resources, and execute winning campaigns time after time. If you want to improve and streamline your content marketing, keep listening. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Season 2 of B2B Content Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, the founder of Content 10x. And in this episode, I speak to Jason Bradwell, who is the founder of marketing agency B2B Better, where their goal is to help B2B organizations Rethink the status quo by turning marketing from a cost center within the business to a revenue driver. Jason's also the co-founder of a community for solo marketers called Karaoke, and he also hosts the B2B Better podcast, which seeks to help complex businesses understand and execute a modern day marketing strategy. In this conversation, Jason and I discuss how to streamline and optimize the content creation process. Jason also shares why his content stands out from the crowd. We talk about the most outstanding and memorable content marketing initiatives that he's worked on to date. Jason also talks about integrating AI into his daily processes and lots, lots more. It's a really valuable conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. So let's dive in. Jason, welcome to B2B Content Strategist podcast. It's great to have you on.
0: It's great to be on. Thanks,
1: Amy. Very much looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> to, to kick this off, Jason, what would be awesome is, could you just tell us a little bit about your role at, so what you're doing at B2B Better and all of that good stuff?
0: Absolutely. So my name's Jason, as you kindly introduce me. Uh, I am the founder of uh, a marketing agency called B2B Better. Our goal is to uh, help B2B organizations fix their marketing problem. And essentially what that boils down to is how can we turn marketing from being a cost center within the business to being a revenue driver? Um, And we do that by offering strategic marketing advisory services, um, looking at strategy, looking at planning, looking at resourcing, and helping organizations figure out where do they want to get to um, and, and how to go about getting there.
1: Really interesting, Um, and it it says on your uh, LinkedIn that you work with some of the most visionary B2B solutions companies to rewrite the status quo on how to win in 2023. Um, What I'd love to know, firstly, um, how would you define define most visionary B2B solution companies? So what what do you look for in that to start with?
0: I think when we're looking at uh, B2B organizations, we can separate them into two general camps. There are the ones that were born in the digital age. Typically, these are SaaS businesses, and they inherently understand how to reach the modern-day B2B buyer and how to activate the channels where these buyers are spending time. And then you have another large group of B2B organizations that were born outside of the digital era, um, who have been around for a long time, and they are very successful for all intents and purposes, but they largely rely on outdated uh, go-to-market strategies. Think of things like you know, cold outreach, cold outbound, relying on referral networks, doing the odd trade show every year, pumping out a press release when they think they've got something to say. But largely speaking, that's what marketing encapsulates. For me, when I'm looking for visionary B2B companies, it's turning to that second group, the ones who have been operating within a certain status quo for a long period of time, but they recognize that there is a need to evolve lest they become extinct. Because every every industry, every sector, every vertical is changing, um, some faster than others, but it is a certainty that if you do not evolve beyond that conventional, predominantly sales-driven go-to-market commercial strategy, you will begin feeling the effects of younger, nimbler uh, competitors um, nipping at your heels. Um, so when I say visionary, it's looking at those that second group of customers who recognize that and they're willing and prepared to invest in making the changes they need to make to continue winning business from the modern day B2B buyer
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that and I think you have just made me realize that you've defined who we work with as well actually so I have a meeting with our CMO later and something that we you know we'll be talking about is that ICP for us and you've just exit them so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna re- reply back with what you just said. Um, fantastic. when you talk about rewrite the status quo, what does that typically look like? To you in terms of what you're doing there
0: i think it's about understanding the difference between in market and out of market customers you know <laughs> as, as b2b marketers um if you spend any time on on social media on linkedin undoubtedly you will have come across the stat from the Ehrenberg bass institute that 95 percent of b2b buyers on general across any industry are considered out of market at any given time that is to say that They fit every attribute and characteristic that you're looking for to define what is a good fit customer, but they're just not in a position to buy right now. They're just not, they don't have that demand to buy right now. That means that there's 5% of in-market customers. And this 5% is where the majority of B2B businesses focus their time and their attention in trying to capture that that in-market demand. But it's not just you trying to capture it it's all of your competitors as well and for the most part you're ignoring or you're not investing in creating demand with that 95 percent of great fit customers but just not ready to buy today so when we talk about you know rewriting the playbook upending the status quo it's about helping b2b businesses think about what can we do to nurture that 95% vast majority of out of market customers that we could be selling to at some point in the future, um, building out in turn, medium to long-term pipeline. Um, And I think that's where a lot of B2B businesses fall short. It's also the area where marketing best plays, right? You know, If there are customers who are ready to buy, sales are the best function within the business to help them get over the line and convert. When it comes to nurture to generating and nurturing that demand with the remaining 95%, that very much fits in marketing's wheelhouse. Um, so that's what we try to do here at B2B Better.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting and, and obviously very, very well needed and worthwhile activity to be supporting the businesses with. Um, in terms of your, yourself, so at B2B Better, I know you've got a very successful podcast and you create lots of awesome content. How do you streamline and optimize all of the content and marketing that you do for yourself?
0: So as a business owner, I think it's important that you practice what you preach. And by no means am I saying that there is not a place for direct sales, referrals, cold outbound. There is definitely a place when it comes to capturing demand within that 5% of in-market customers. But I've always said with B2B Better as a business, especially as a you know solo operator right now, I want to do as little of that as possible. I want to nurture as much demand as I can well in advance with the 95% of out-of-market customers so that they're coming to me when that switch flips and they are in need for strategic marketing services. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the way I do that is by creating high-quality, pain point-focused content through the podcast, which is also named B2B Better, and my newsletter, B2B Byte. And being active in the channels where my buyers are spending time, which is predominantly, you know, LinkedIn. So just to break those three down, I have a weekly podcast, um, ranges from 30 to 60 minutes in length. The format is narrative driven. I will interview an expert on a particular subject that my customers care about, be that, you know, account-based marketing, be that marketing strategy more generally, be that, you know, TikTok is a popular subject right now and what place do B2B organizations have in that. I'll interview an expert. And then I will, in the post-production, cut in my own insights and takeaways based on the responses they've given me. So it results in quite a, you know, I, I like to think, highly polished, yep. high production value um, piece of content, as opposed to just a kind of hit, hit, hit record on my Zoom call um, and, and publish it with minimal to no, no editing. I think yeah. that helps kind of differentiate it in a sea of B2B marketing podcasts. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is the weekly newsletter called B2B Byte. That goes out to 3,000 plus um, B2B marketing professionals every single week. That could just be a summary of the podcast episode I've just published, or it could be a subject or a topic that keeps coming up with me with clients um, that I want to provide some insight on. Um, I kind of think of it as a bit of a journal just to help me keep a record of all the things I'm talking and thinking about at any given time, um, to which I can share with my, with my database. And then finally, there's LinkedIn um, where I try and post something every single day. I treat it as a bit of a blog in terms of my mindset, um, just write you know several hundred words on a topic and publish it out um, as as a LinkedIn post. Um, but the really important part of of my time on LinkedIn is also making sure I'm not just publishing but I'm engaging with the community, um both my own and and otherwise. Um, so those are the three channels I operate on and we can talk a little bit about. The production behind each of those, and and how I've streamlined and optimized it over the last three years that I've been active, Um, but but that's how it breaks down. And it's from those three channels that, having launched the business fairly recently, um, enabled me to generate over fifty thousand pounds in pipeline before I'd actually even started officially the business. So, yeah,
1: wow, just goes to show the power of content, doesn't it? The power of knowing who you are communicating with, and then creating. Know, targeted content and like you said like you know high co- high quality differentiated content as well what do you think you've done to really stand above that crowd as well because you know as someone in the b2b space as well on linkedin it's a very crowded space of people talking about uh, even just niching it to you know b2b tech has that area as well um, what do you think you've done to to manage to to nail that and actually get that engagement and, and get noticed?
0: I wish I had like a really defined kind of framework that your listeners, I could just say, and your listeners could take away and apply to their own. Um, I, I don't, but there are certain things that I will call out and hopefully at the end they could begin to, you know, resemble some sort of framework. I think the first is just understanding who you're talking to. And I think if you are a marketer on LinkedIn, it is very easy to feel like there is just a lot of noise and how do you compete with that noise? Dare I say the vast majority of that noise, are marketers talking to other marketers.
1: <laughs> and 100%. Unless, you know, unless, <laughs> unless
0: your ICP is marketers, then you kind of need to just ignore it and focus on who exactly are you trying to target and creating content for them. I definitely fell into this trap, right? Like, I want to sound clever amongst my peers and contemporaries. So I'll spend, you know, at the beginning, I was spending time talking about dark social and, you know, the dark funnel and and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you go into a meeting with a CEO, CFO of like a IT system integrator and you say the words dark social, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I have no idea what that means. Talk to me in terms I understand, marketing, sales. How can I be better at both of those? So. You know, the content that you then put out needs to reflect who it is that you're actually talking to. When looked at by other marketers, maybe it's considered a little bit basic, a little bit simple. But when you're talking to your customers, it's exactly what they need to hear because it's where they are in their journey um, of, of discovery or, or whatever. So the first thing is about understanding who your target, target buyer is and creating content for them. I think finding ways to be distinctive um, whether that is in the format or the branding or the design of the material that you put out is very important. Um, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, which I'd highly uh, appreciate you anyone listening to this doing, you can reach me, Jason Bradwell. Um, I'm the guy with the bright yellow background in my profile photo. And that was a deliberate choice because it it stands out in your feed, like that bright neon yellow. And in fact, I've been, you know, I've been walking through conference walls in the past where someone will stop me and say, you're the yellow guy.
1: <laughs> really? They just, yeah, they don't know my
0: name. They don't know anything about me. They don't know what I talk about, but they know me as like the yellow guy. And that combined with like the format of my podcast, which I've already mentioned, which is more narrative driven mm-hmm. versus just Q&A interview style. You know, these are just little components I've learned over time, just slight tweaks to the format or the design or the branding that just help you stand out a little bit from... A sea of sameness, a, you know, a really saturated p- place, which is B2B marketing. So that would be the second thing. And I think if I had to round it off, the third thing in terms of standing out, um, consistency, I guess, is what comes to mind. Like it, it is a long game when it comes to creating an effective content program. And whether you're a brand or you're an individual, I've sat on both sides, you know, at times, it can feel a little bit hopeless, which is I keep putting stuff out consistently yeah. every single week. And it's just not the numbers aren't going up enough for me. Um, I want them to go. I want this to go quicker. But you have to stick at it. And eventually, you will hit a tipping point, because you'll build enough insights, you'll collect enough data to understand what is the kind of content types that resonate the most, you know, what are the formats that People just seem really to enjoy. How can I evolve and iterate over time to make this, you know, based on feedback, the best version of of what it is it can be? Um, and you can only get there if, if you're consistent. So even if you feel helpless and and hopeless, I should say um, that things aren't working. Just getting the reps in and being consistent and constantly appearing in people's feeds, you will hit that tipping point. And um, uh, just just being present can help you stand out.
1: Yeah, 100%. I agree. In terms of of being consistent, it helps if you have certain systems and processes and ways that you kind of optimize the workflow. Um, You mentioned it before in terms of you've developed that for yourself and your content. Um, Do you have any tips of you managing to stay consistent with quite a lot of different types of content on a a weekly basis?
0: Uh, Time blocking. Is really yep. important for me. So in my calendar every week, I'll make sure there is a big old block of time for me to work on content. Um, whether that's editing the podcast, whether that's reaching out to guests, whether that's writing the newsletter, there is just a permanent block of time in my diary every week. So I can focus on doing that and only that. Because trying to fit it in, you know, half an hour here, 15 minutes there, for me personally it just doesn't work. I need to have that concentrated focus. I think um Automation is a really powerful tool uh, if you if you can figure out the kind of mundane, repetitive tasks that you continually do when it comes to producing content, and if there is a way that they can be automated using a tool like Zapier, for example, um, that could really help take off some of the heavy lift um, when it comes to content production um, if if used if used well. And outsourcing, like I I as a as a solo creator, I have not outsourced any of my content production. It's something I want to change, because I believe that there are people out there who are cost-effective and far better at things like audio mixing or kind of scheduling social posts or creating transcripts/slash show notes. You know, these are all things that don't need me doing them. They can be outsourced to other individuals for a cheap price and be done far quicker or in fact ensure they are done right because far after far more often than not i just won't publish show notes because i just don't have the time to do it yeah Mm. so um when i worked for a brand we outsourced a lot of that kind of menial task um those menial tasks that could not be automated um to really cheap freelancers that we found on upwork or you know fiverr or whatever um So that, so those are the three things, you know, time blocking, automation, outsourcing, that's how you can, three ways of, of looking to streamline your workflows.
1: Just a super quick break from this conversation to let you know that if you're a B2B technology or professional services company, and you want help with streamlining your content operations, outsourcing your content repurposing is the number one way to produce more high quality content and boost your ROI without putting any more pressure on your team. In fact, it could save your team up to 30 hours per week. We offer content repurposing services for video and audio content. Whether you have a show or you're launching a brand new one, maybe you have an archive of awesome content, be it webinars or a virtual event, or you want help creating thought leadership content that we can repurpose. We've got you covered. Head to content10x.com to see how we can help you and start increasing your efficiency and the value you get from your content. Now, back to the conversation. And have you done much in the world of like AI from the point of view of there's an awful lot of conversation at the moment about obviously chat GPT and, you know, how AI is creeping into um, workflows for all aspects of content creation publishing production etc what are your thoughts on that
0: Mm. it's a really interesting one isn't it i mean yeah i've I've used i've used chat gp a little bit over the last couple of weeks and i think it's a great i think it's a great tool for ideation um i think you know as i've been struggling a little bit to think of how to phrase a particular paragraph or to come up with a few ideas the fact that you can just kind of like feed in an input and get an output that can then just help unstick you and keep you moving, I found very useful. I've not used it as of this point, other than just for a, a small experiment, like copy pasting the content that it produced and and putting it out there into the world. I did actually write a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago, which was purely chat GPT. And that was just to see like what happened. Did it get like a hiring number of likes and posts? And And, and it didn't. Um, and I think that kind of talks to the fact that we shouldn't be too scared just yet that these tools are going to take our jobs as content creators because they're not quite there yet. Could get could get there though. Um, one thing that I've been playing around with in the last couple of uh, couple of weeks is how do I combine ChatGPT in some of my Zapier workflows? So I've set one up, which is basically when I finish editing a podcast episode. I drop it into a Google Drive folder. That episode is then through Zapier sent to Trint, where a transcript is created. That transcript is then pulled back into Google Drive into a separate folder. That transcript is then thrown into OpenAI with the command create um, show notes based on this transcript, which will then take that um, output from OpenAI and put it back into a Google Drive folder. So without me doing anything, I've just uploaded the file into a Google Drive folder. I've gotten a transcript, and I've gotten AI-generated show notes based off of that transcript. Those show notes need some work, right? You, they can't be taken as is. Spelling errors, grammar errors, you know, B to B is always, you know, B, and then the word to, and then B, yeah. you know, things like that. Um. And, you know, sometimes it misses a little bit of the nuance that I think a human can provide when it comes to interpreting a transcript and creating a set of premium um, show notes. But it gets me like 60, 70% of the way there. And I mean, as a solo creator that's not outsourcing anything at the moment, I'll take it. So, you know, there are ways to to leverage ChatGPT OpenAI to uh, take off some of the lift um, if you can think through it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I haven't actually even used uh chat GPT yet. I every time I go to go in it, it just says that it's at capacity and you can't you can't get yeah. on it. I am going to um have a play around with it. And a few people in the team have been messaging me, um, saying that they've got in and they've been playing around with it. I guess jumping over the conversation towards outsourcing and looking at um, you know, sort of B2B businesses, um you know, likely have a small marketing team and they are looking at what do we keep in-house? What do we outsource? What do you typically go in and start to review and often end up recommending you should probably look to outsource this?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it really depends on the nature of the organization. Um, A lot of the businesses that I work with, are at the very beginning of their journey when it comes to building out a marketing function. They could be a very well-established business, as I've already mentioned. They could be worth tens of millions of dollars, but it's all off the back of the referral network that their you know, executive team, their sales team have, or or cold outbound, or you know, attending trade shows, things like that. It's not a modern day marketing function in my eyes. and there is an argument to say that these organizations will be necessary for them to invest in an in-house marketing function in the short to medium term because their industry just doesn't, it's just not a necessity um, just based on, you know, what they're selling and how it's sold and how it's bought. In those cases, bringing on someone like myself as a fractional CMO can be really beneficial because it gives you that exposure to a senior marketing leader who can begin building a foundation and generating a business case that investment in modern day marketing makes sense. And then at some point in the future, facilitate a transition to an in-house team. And if you go down that road, you're outsourcing everything. You're outsourcing strategy, you're outsourcing planning, you're outsourcing execution. On the other side of the scale, you know, if you're like in a, a B2B SaaS business, I think, you know, I'm looking at ClickUp on one of my other screens here, you know, that they're they're, they're in a business model where, you know, they need to be, they need to have that in-house marketing function to really, to to really accelerate their revenue generation capabilities. You know, they need to be on all channels. They need to, um, uh, they need that momentum, that velocity within their business, um, that it just makes sense. Um, so I think it really depends on, it really, really depends on the type of type of business that, that you operate in.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Reflecting on season one of this podcast, talking to like heads of content marketing and heads of marketing at fairly large tech companies, the, the theme across that question tended to be SEO, like SEO seemed to seem to be. Fairly standard. We we don't we don't hire in-house SEO expertise. We tend to work with an agency. But then anything after SEO, as you said, kind of really did vary a lot more depending on all of the factors that you discussed. Um, in terms of your content marketing initiatives, so you've had you've worked with all sorts of different companies as an advisor and also obviously in house over your career. What would you say? is a really memorable standout content marketing initiative that you have been involved in? um, And and kind of what, what were the results of that?
0: (laughs) I, uh, again, just to frame this question, I have worked for a lot of organizations or with a lot of organizations that um, are at the beginning of their journey when it comes to building out a marketing team or a marketing function. And as such, you know, they're not taking our Super Bowl ad slots, right? They're not like hiring massive billboards that are sitting in Piccadilly Circus and like doing amazing brand building campaigns where their logos being, you know, shot on the Empire State Building or anything like that. What they do do, what they historically have done before they think about, you know, how can we market in the modern day is they work with a lot of trade associations or trade magazines. And... I dare I say they've been hoodwinked a little bit in terms of you know, spending a lot of money on what is a very poor activation. You know we get, an, we get a logo placement in an email blast or they'll put on an event and they'll say our name while they're introducing a panel or something like that. So when I go into businesses that have these kind of trade association, trade, trade journalism relationships, my first question is how can we squeeze more value out of that, uh, that partnership? these companies are creating content right and sometimes on our behalf are we really satisfied with like a crummy generic white paper that's blasted out to a couple of hundred people and we have no idea of tracking we have no idea like what it actually delivers no we shouldn't we shouldn't be we shouldn't be happy with that you know and we should be holding them to account to um you know push the push the fold um on what's actually achievable to that end a really memorable uh, content program that that we worked on with one customer was um, developing a co-hosted podcast between the trade association and the brand it would have been easy for us to say of you know you you launch a podcast we'll do a bunch of pre-rolls and mid-roll ads in that and that will be you know great activation but you know, i don't think that goes far enough like as a solutions provider we're in the business of selling expertise it makes sense for one of our experts then to be involved in this piece of content. So we'll put up one of our experts as a co-host alongside one of your top journalists, and every week you'll interview um, uh, a hand handpicked uh, list of potential clients of ours um, on subjects that matter to them and matter to your audience. And that was a really great piece of content for a couple of reasons. One, it meant that we were just activating the relationship in a way that we had never done before or none of that trade partners um, partners had ever, had ever done before. Two, it really allowed us to position ourselves as the expert. Um, we're here not selling our solution. We're here talking about the industry and the challenges and the opportunities that you know, we see in, in the space. It allowed us to connect with prospects um, in a non-aggressive way. I I kind of say aggressive in a sense of like it meant that we didn't have to send a cold outreach email or a cold pitch Mm -hmm. to them via email. It meant that we could, you know, connect with them in a mutually beneficial setting. You know, they're getting exposure because they're being invited onto the podcast that's not just being shared by us as a brand, but by this like trade association, trade magazine with huge reach that they want to be, you know, associated with. Um... And um, it kept it kept leadership happy, you know, because they saw something cool happening um, that they'd never seen before. And you know, podcasts are really in vogue at the moment um, in B two B. So that was just a really cool activation of you know slight slight tweak to what was an existing relationship, um, and it ended up being, if memory serves, the second highest performing podcast produced by that uh, trade association you know, of of all time. Um, And it had, like, a really high completion rate, like, because the content was so tailored to um, the audience it was being delivered to. Like, 85% of all streams went 75% of the way. And considering it's, like, an hour-long episode, that's a really good show. Um, And, yeah, I mean, long-term, we did have proof points um, where... We were talking to customers who referenced that podcast and having listened to that podcast, and um, before picking up the phone and speaking to us. Um, so there was also a pipeline angle there as well. So, you know, that that's that's the, that's the example that stands out to me.
1: Yes, it's such a good example. I think it um, kind of provides so much more background with what you said about breaking through the status quo with the for the companies you work with because. You took an example of a business that sounded exactly as you said at the start, kind of like an older fashion marketing business, and you, you know, broke that status quo. Did something really different, and you know, such a good example. I, I love that idea of the co-hosted with the trade organization in the podcast aspect. So amazing example. And um, let's talk about things to avoid. So, do you have a funny story or cautionary tale of a content marketing mishap?
0: We did have one example where we were. Um organizing this webinar series where we'd done we had we had we had a really high profile guest due to come in and um to join this webinar this was like right in the midst of the pandemic and um there's a lot of promotion done in advance across you know our channels that they were going to come on and we just never sent them the calendar invite so they didn't turn up <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is totally oh awesome.
1: no what did you do did you did you just like, did you add lip and deliver something, or did you?
0: <laughs> yeah, so we, um, uh, we ended up actually uh, saving it in the end because we emailed them like half an hour and we realized that this invite had never gone out, that this mm-hmm. is going to happen, and we're really, really sorry and apologetic, and um, if you can make it, please, you know, do make it. But obviously, if you can't, we'll just send an email out telling people it's been canceled. Unfortunately, they could make it, but I guess the takeaway there is, you know, just you need to have some sort of process like it doesn't matter if you are like in a team, like a big team or a solo marketer, just have a process, have a template of actions that need to occur when you're setting up a recurring content type, be it like a webinar or a podcast or a newsletter or what have you, because you think you, think you remember, you think you know everything it is that you need to do, but just in the heat of trying to keep all these plates spinning and get things through the door. Just like the simplest stupidest activities just slip through the net that can end up being quite catastrophic um, as it was in that case but we managed to save it fortunately
1: yeah i think you said a, a moment ago that you were glancing over at your click up board um so big shout out to the trellos and the click ups and the base camps and uh, of the world all those tools you can use to do exactly what you just said and have it and have a checklist a repeatable um, when we want to a webinar checklist and do not forget to tick, <laughs> send the invitation yeah. out. <laughs> and it's also
0: about having the discipline to like actually follow it. Yeah. Just no matter how senior, you, how senior you are, how often you've done this process in the past, just give it a cursory glance every so often just to make sure that, yeah, I've ticked off everything. Because as I say, you know, I've been doing this for 10 bloody years. I, I forgot to send the invite out because I thought it'd been done or I, yeah. I would have, of course I would have done it. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I've done it a million times. So just having the discipline, the tool itself is a tool. It needs the process and the discipline around it to actually make it effective.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we're going to finish up with uh, three quick fire questions. So what is one takeaway tip you'd give to other content marketers to optimize content?
0: In order to optimize the consistency of your content output, you want to just start in one place. So pick one channel or one artifact that you want to create consistently and focus entirely on that for a period of time until you have got it nailed. You know, you've you've figured out what resonates with your audience in terms of the content itself, you understand the channel and how to distribute, and you've built a process to get things out of the door consistently. Every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever it is the cadence that you've set. And only until you've got that do you look out and, and move on to other channels. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't repurpose. you can re- you can and you should repurpose. if you're creating a podcast, it's a great asset to like rip the transcript, sending out as an email newsletter, create a blog, do a, do a Twitter thread, whatever. That's totally cool. And that should be part of your kind of you know your your, your, your journey of discovery on this with this new content and this new channel. But if you have a podcast and then you think, mm, you know, I also want to set up a newsletter and it's going to be a distinct, separate asset compared to the to the podcast, just be mindful before diving in with two feet if you're still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work on the podcast front. Um, classic marketing dilemma. You spread yourself too thin, you dive yeah. in the potency of everything. So just, just be mindful of that.
1: Yeah. Um, What is a typically overlooked or undervalued tool that you'd recommend to content marketers?
0: I think ClickUp, you know, like or or any kind of project management piece of software. Um, It's very common. I'm sure you see it all the time that this stuff is managed in spreadsheets or in emails or Word documents or whatever. And I mean, there are tools out there that are either free or super cost effective that can just help provide some structure around consistent content help. Um, so, if you're sitting there listening to this, and your content strategy and content plan is sitting on a spreadsheet, just consider looking at something like Trello or ClickUp as a means of just getting on the road of getting on the road to efficiency.
1: Yeah, hundred percent agree. And finally, so on B two B content strategists, we speak to you know leaders like yourself in the B two B marketing world, particularly with like a tech focus. Um, who do you think we should be speaking to on the show? Who stands out to you? <laughs> I
0: would recommend uh I would recommend one of my former guests, on B2B Better, um, a guy called Ronnie Higgins, who is the head of content for Open Phone. Um and I love chatting with Ronnie, um, both when we're recording and when we're not, because I think he has a real modern day view on building out a media program, a media organization within a B2B business. I think it's become a little bit cliche to see on things like to see on LinkedIn, like platforms like LinkedIn, like every B2B company is a media company. Media
1: company, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know?
0: And yeah. um whilst Ronnie definitely subscribes to the idea that creating high quality, consistent content that could be billed as media, um, is the right play for B2B organizations to make in 2023 and beyond. He's also a realist. Um, and, uh, he has spent a lot of time thinking about the theory behind building out media programs and and where it makes sense and where it doesn't and and how to do it. So I'd recommend speaking to Ronnie.
1: Brilliant. Awesome. I'll be getting in touch with him. (laughs) Um, well, Jason, thank you so much. It's been a, an awesome conversation, really great episode. I'm sure everyone listening is going to have taken so much value from it. I think you already mentioned about um, connecting with you on LinkedIn. Is that the the best place that you would like people to go um, to connect with you?
0: Yes, please. Yeah, Brilliant. you can find me, Jason Bradwell, big yellow uh, background in my profile photo. Um, you can also connect with me on Twitter uh, at Jason R. Bradwell, though I spend less time there nowadays with the whole elon thing elon
1: (laughs) Um, um
0: but uh yeah linkedin is the best channel for sure
1: awesome all right well thank you so much jason thanks for listening to this episode of b2b content strategist do let me know what you thought about conversation by getting in touch with me on social media You'll find Content 10X on all the social platforms or search for Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X on LinkedIn. To find out more about streamlining your content marketing processes and specifically about content repurposing, check out our website, content10x.com, where you'll find information and resources that will help you achieve more with your content more efficiently. And if you're looking for a partner to outsource your content repurposing and distribution to, get in touch as we offer a world-class, fully end-to-end, done-for-you content repurposing service. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.